Have you guys noticed that you can't go anywhere without seeing designer this or designer that, even designer furniture? On my social feeds and celebrity homes, it's everywhere. Have you seen how expensive these are? Well, if you want the sofa or recliner or bed that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends, but without the designer prices. Oh, and they're well-made, too. It's the whole package. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. If you have a brand, you want to guarantee units sold for every dollar spent on promotions. An effective ad spend that results in verified incremental sales is more important than ever. The Ibotta Performance Network, or IPN, delivers a pay-per-performance model that offers guaranteed ROI. Your budgets work harder, reaching over 120 million shoppers nationwide with Ibotta's network of retailers, publishers, and owned properties. And advertisers, that's you, can get an understanding of campaign performance. The Ibotta Performance Network. Promotions will never be the same. Visit ipn.ibotta.com today to learn more. That's ipn.ibotta.com. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything. So you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com. The following program is intended for immature audiences only. Don't think, just listen. Coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and you're online with Bill Alexander here on WMCK.FM and also on Fayette TV Channel 77 as we broadcast high atop High Street from the Phil Giannetti Motors Studios. If you're looking for a quality pre-owned vehicle, give Chip a call at 724-785-6800 or stop by his website, philgiannettimotors.com. Hope everything's going fine for you on this uh, whatever day of the week you may be listening, but we're recording on a Thursday night, and we do have open phone lines this evening. The phone number is 724-505-1955. Again, that's 724-505-1955. So if you want to call in, you're more than welcome to. Because on the show tonight, we have a guest who was supposed to be on the program about five weeks ago, but unfortunately broke her wrist within an hour of the program, which uh, <laughs> I heard her getting out of something. I'm wondering if this is what she's talking about tonight. I heard her getting out of something, but she came back and we've decided to uh, redo the show tonight. Her name is Robin Quinn Keen, and she is an uh, a individual who's working on helping you raise quit-proof kids. Preventing quiditis, which I think is a great term, and we're all familiar with it, especially if we have kids, because we know when kids start things, sometimes they don't want to finish. So on the phone line right now, we have Robin. Robin, how are you doing this evening? Hi, Bill. I'm doing great. Thank you. And no, I wasn't trying to get out of it, but sure, you know, could have been taken that way. Uh, well, I, I, I realize I'm going, wait a minute, we haven't even done it yet, and she quit on me already. Huh? Yeah, I tried. It was like 
I'm not getting out of this emergency room, am I? Like, you know, I couldn't believe it. They were like, no, you're not going to be done. So I was like, well, okay, well, I'm going to have to call you and quit. I'm sorry. What, is, what, was really, <laughs> what was really interesting is I felt so bad for you, too, because I've never had a guest call me from an emergency room telling me they can't do a show and then feeling guilty about it. I'm thinking that's the last thing you need to worry about is me. Take care of yourself. That's more important, but I'm glad you could be with us tonight. Thank you. Thank you. So give me a little background about yourself and why you started this, um, this program about raising quit proof kids. Sure. Happy to. So, you know, I've got four kids and when my first one was ready to go to preschool, she was what, three and a half or so. Um, so excited for her. I just couldn't wait. She was so excited and she had a baby brother. So, you know, it's kind of a big deal getting out of the door to go and she'd be very happy when she'd get there. And that lasted for maybe three or four or five weeks. And then one day she just didn't want to go and she had a, threw a big fit and cried and whined and complained. And I thought, wow, okay, maybe she's sick. We'll, we'll stay home. And then it happened again, and then it happened again. And, you know, getting two kids ready to go out the door, it, it just kind of became this thing where I dreaded the morning because if I took her, she just was so upset. And I didn't understand because she had been so happy. And, and every time she was there, she would, you know, run off with her friends immediately and go play at the sand table or whatever. And I'd think, wow, what was all of that? What was all this craziness at home? And then this happy little girl you know, two minutes later. And so it went on for a while. And I finally asked her teacher and I just said, like, what is this? I don't understand. Is is this a game or, I, you know, I don't know what to do. Am I being a bad parent because I'm making her go or should I let her stay home? And her teacher just said, look, you know, here's the deal. She's three and you're the grown up, and you have to decide if you feel like this is a safe place for her and there's a benefit to her being here, then then she comes. And she said she will test you until she finds out where your limits are. And um, so we just went. We went no matter what. So fast forward, um, I became a Simply Music, or sorry, kinder music teacher first, teaching early childhood music and movement. And then I started teaching a piano method called called Simply Music, and I ended up opening a huge music and dance school. So I've dealt with thousands of kids over the couple of decades. And what was interesting was that I saw the pattern repeat. I saw it with all kinds of kids, and so I would see it with four-year-olds coming into a ballet class, and, you know, they've been there a month, and the mom comes with the child to the front desk and says, we're quitting, and we say, okay, can you tell us, you know, the reason? Well, she just doesn't like it anymore, and I went, I saw it enough times, I went, okay, something's really getting a little skewed here, like, who's in charge, and, and the confusion for parents is what, like mine was, like, what is my role, where... Am I being a bad mom or a bad dad because I make my child go to something? And so I've spent a long time working in this arena of coaching parents and then also coaching entrepreneurs. And it turns out people, grownups, have the same issue that kids have. You know, they start something and then they want to stop. So I've really come up with a way that I used in my studio to help parents understand what their opportunity was and what their obligation really was to their kids. Um, and help them understand what it will take to raise a kid that learns how to finish what they start. Okay. So um, how old are your kids now? Oh, my baby just turned 18. Okay. So 18, 23, 25, and 27. Gotcha. And I have a grandson who's five. Oh, okay. So so just to give us an idea of of how long you've been doing this. So you've been, been working with kids 
in a ma manner for a long period of time, not only teaching them, but also working, I would say, in somewhat of a child psychology role by actually working with the parents and helping them understand right. who their kids are. Um, I have right. three myself. My oldest one is 19. I have a middle one that is 15, and I have a daughter who is 12. Now, mm -hmm. What's interesting about this is I can relate to what you said because I've had kids who wanted to quit things and being of an, another generation, I was always taught you always start what you finish. And if you do quit, you're the one going to the coach or the instructor and telling them you're quitting and why you're doing it. And usually that was yeah. enough of, of uh, how do I want to put it, enough of a fear in us that you wouldn't quit until the end of the season. And mm -hmm. then you just realized that you were having fun doing it. And then you just continued. Are you noticing the mm -hmm. same thing happening? Are parents just, and I hate to use this term, but are parents of millennials, are they weaker than what, what they were in the old days? Well, let, let me say something, or maybe reframe that a little bit. Number one, I totally agree. I grew up probably around the same time you did. And I, there were no outs. There were no outs for me. They, you know, they came with, severe consequences mm -hmm. pretty much <laughs> if I quit and so I didn't quit I you know my parents taught me this is the obligation that you have when you take something on and you owe it to yourself you owe it to your right. team you owe it to your coach or whatever and so there just wasn't an opportunity here's what I really think has happened and you know I, I mean I've watched this for years so it's not new but it seems to be in many conversations with people of all ages it seems to be an increasing situation with kids just quitting and adults just quitting and what I really think is happening is that we have a million choices now okay we we have so many things that we could do that so what I start this and I say I don't like it and I'm just and you you brought up something I want to address about the cycles of long-term relationships but we'll come back to that in a minute but you know so I want to quit great I can go down the street and do something you know, at a different studio, or I can go pick a right. different uh, a different sport to do. I don't have the limitations. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I'm sure there were plenty of things, but my parents were very selective. They knew yes. what they wanted me to do. And, you know, when I was little, I didn't have a choice. And then as I got a little bit older, I was included in the conversation about, hey, do you still love violin? Do we, you play the piano all the time. Would you rather take piano lessons? That was a choice when I was 10. But up until then, I played violin. That was that was it. There was no other option for me. And I think that's not the same now. Well, because there are so many opportunities. And I think the parent thinks that they're doing the kid a favor by putting him in so many different activities that the kid can't become good at just one of them. So they're getting frustrated right. when they see their friends excel or succeed and they're not able to do the same thing. Um, a few years ago, my daughter played soccer and she danced. Mm -hmm. We gave her the option after she got mm -hmm. done with the dance recital. Would you rather play so uh, soccer or would you rather dance? And she goes, no, I don't want to do either of them. And we just looked at her and she goes, no, I want to play softball. And I'm going, okay, <laughs> yeah. that was never an option, but we'll try it. And she's been playing for four years now and she loves every minute of it. But she saw what right. she wanted to do and we gave her the opportunity to make the decision instead of putting her into what we wanted to put her in and giving her so many things. Now, like I said earlier, when I was mm -hmm. a kid, 
I played football. I played baseball. That was the only two sports that were available in my area at the time. And I belonged to uh, Boy Scouts. That was it. So I wasn't being pulled in so many different directions. We didn't have social media. You only had four TV channels if you were lucky. And if you didn't have cable, (laughs) you didn't have all this stimuli coming at you. And I think that has a lot to do with it, too, because the kids don't know if they're coming or going in a lot of ways. Right. And I, you know, that's another part of this, too, is that so so one of the things you just brought up is kind of fear of missing out. Like there's the next shiny thing is around the corner. Right. And my friends have all been doing this and now they're overdoing that. And I guess I better go and join them. But exactly what you said a few minutes ago is what I'm contending is that when kids are little, parents are the ones that really need to be making decisions for them and they need to consider what activity and why, mm-hmm. and for how long they want their child to do it and what they want for the outcome. Do they want them just to experience it? Do they want them to complete it, or do they want them to master it? Okay. And if they, if they could answer those questions, they would be able to um, deal with the natural, very natural experience of loving something and then not liking it. And But that's, a, that's just a cycle. You know, peaks, valleys, and plateaus that last for short, medium, and long time. And they're always changing. That's how any long-term commitment is, right? Right. It's the same thing for our kids. But they don't, if you as a parent aren't aware of that, really, like you know it, but you've never really thought about it. And if you haven't made a commitment, then you will never be able to stick with it with your kid when they want to quit because you don't really know that you're that committed to it in the beginning anyway. So so there's that. And then, and then we get to the question of, so we're letting our kids try all these different things like you alluded to as well, jack of all trades, master of none. They never feel good about anything. And so there's a sense of, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm really not very good at that. I I could never do it anyway. Everybody's better than me because there's never been an experience of, hey, I'm really good at this. Like, I'm good at this because I stuck with it long enough to be good at it. Right. Um, Right. Because listening to you and having this conversation – I'm seeing when I see older children who are having difficulties and it's not because they don't like it or they're not good at it. It's that it becomes difficult or it becomes work or it becomes challenging and they don't want to deal with that extra effort to go to that next step because they, for all those years it came to them easy and now they're running into an obstacle and they don't know how to get over that hurdle and then they said, the heck with it, I'm just going to quit. Right. And that's where, you know, when kids are older, conversations, well, number one, if, they, if, they, if their parents understood this when they were little, then they probably have a way to manage it, and yep. they've managed it all along. They've helped their child understand it's going to be hard sometimes. This is what it's going to take, and I'm right here to back you up, and we're going to see this through and whatever. And then at the end of the agreed-upon duration, you know, either we quit or we do something different, whatever needs to happen there. But what's happening with kids that are older that don't have a habit of finishing what they start, of course they're going to give up, right? Yeah. But but that it doesn't serve anybody. I mean, we're, we're really in a time of what I call the quitting culture. Um, we are a quitting culture. We, we don't have a reason for committing or making agreements or promises, not a good enough one. And so we get into it a little way and then it's uncomfortable or it doesn't fit. We don't like it. We quit. Right. But that leaves us as people that leaves us feeling, you know, guilty, sometimes ashamed, disappointed, embarrassed, 
And if it's bad enough, we isolate and we have depression. And that happens with kids. It happens with kids and adults. And so how do we help kids? And I think part of it is parents being willing to have conversations with their older kids about, okay, look, so I could let you off the hook and you could get off the hook. But in doing that, we're going to lose something here. You're going to lose. We're going to lose society. They're not going to care about society, but society loses, right? Kids, teenagers, I have had a bunch. They don't really care about society, but they do care that, you know what? So I remember my parents saying to me, someday you're going to have a job. Like I got one when I was 15, right? Uh And they're like, there will not be an option and there. You will be one of the people that does really well because you know how to finish what you start. And And that's, and what's really interesting about this is that I have three kids and I also I teach high school students Monday through Friday and Ooh. I do this in the evening. Okay. And I, I I'm listening to what you're saying and I've been doing this I've been teaching for twenty plus years and I've had mm-hmm. my kids for nineteen or my oldest for nineteen mm-hmm. and I never thought about it before, but you can actually probably go back and you can trace every time a kid quit and see how that has actually impacted what they're doing now because they don't try anything challenging. They want to make it through easy. And it's really interesting to think about that because it's like, wait a minute. Was it the the kid that, that was having problems with something in elementary school and he says, Mom, I don't want to do this anymore. Gave the teacher a hard time. Gave the coach a hard time. Everybody else mm-hmm. quit. Mm-hmm. Mom said fine. Mm-hmm. Or dad said fine. Went to the next thing. Did it for the same period of time or just a little bit longer. And the same thing happened. And so on and so on and so on. And this is mm-hmm. also when parents become defenders of their kids and start blaming the coaches mm-hmm. and the teachers and everybody else. Mm-hmm for their kid mm-hmm. quitting the sport or the activity when it's actually the kid's fault and 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 inevitably the parent's fault because the parent didn't know how to keep that kid connected to whatever that activity was. That's right. That's right. And, you know, you have children, I have children. We both know that when a kid doesn't want to do something anymore, it is ugly. Right? Oh, my it's goodness. It's not like, I don't want to go. It's it's not the little, I just don't want to go. Yeah. It's like, you know, the red eyes and the clouds come out. And it's like <laughs> full-on tantrums. And it's scary. Like, it's, oh, my gosh, is this my kid? When they're really upset. But, you know, then for me, that's when my kid has a time away to, to soothe themselves back into a place of being normal, whether that's taking a nap or just going to the room and taking a few minutes to calm down. But it, it's very hard for parents. It's so hard for parents to deal with those big tantrums and so it you know we're uncomfortable with our children's right. level of discomfort and so it becomes the easiest thing is to let them off the hook that is the easiest thing because it's so painful to experience that level of upset so i you know i get it because i've been there with my kids we've certainly gone through these battles right um and so it, i don't i i sympathize i empathize with parents who who don't know how to take a stand or just find it so uncomfortable and unbearable that they let their kids quit it's i think that's the most natural thing to do it's just easier for everybody yeah and and the better thing and the toughest thing is if you're the coach of that kid's team and they want to quit 
And I've dealt with yeah. that a couple of times with my son and daughter, my middle one and my mm-hmm. youngest, because it wasn't that it it wasn't that they wanted to quit the sport. I found out they didn't want me to coach anymore. And they okay. couldn't tell me that because their way of getting yeah. out of the situation was for them to quit. And mm-hmm. when I've had conversations with especially the oldest one, he goes, Dad, I love playing the game, but I don't like you're the coach because you put too much pressure on me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, oh, mm-hmm. never thought of that. And I went to my assistant coach and told him, I said, whenever we're dealing with, with my son, I'm going to have you deal with him. I'm going to step back and work with the other group of kids because I realized mm-hmm. I didn't think I was doing it, but I wanted him to excel and succeed because not only was he was he doing it for himself, he was also doing it for me. And me being the coach, I got a little bit of pride out of that. So I can under I can Mm -hmm. under I can understand that because Mm -hmm. a lot of times we put a lot of pressure on kids to do well, even if they may not have the actual ability to do well, but they just enjoy doing it. Right. Well, and you know, if you look at Sports, since we're talking about sports, I mean, kids have so much pressure on them from parents or can have, not saying everybody's right. that way, but there is a lot of pride and there is a lot of pressure. And so kids, you know, we've been seeing, if you look at statistics and like soccer and baseball and softball and all kinds of youth sports, you'll see, you know, kids, so many kids are gone by the time they're between 11 and 13. Because it's just not fun for them anymore because the pressure starts to increase from parents. Um, and so it's, you know, I get that too. I mean, so when I look at it, it's like, look, there are, in my music and dance studio, there were kids who had really, uh, uh, oh, I got a big echo there. I did too. Uh, that was my fault. <laughs> oh, okay. That was, that, was, that, was, that was me. No, don't worry about it. Sorry about that. Okay, good. Okay, good. I was like, that's so distracting when I hear myself talking in my ear when I'm talking. Um, well, and so, on, anyway, on a delay, kids, too, it makes it worse. But anyhow. Yeah, it does. Um, so there were kids that were clearly very gifted, either in music or we had martial arts. We had acrobatic gymnastics. We had, you know, I taught piano. We had different instruments. There were kids that you could see were just, like, really gifted. Uh-huh. And then there were all the kids that had to work really hard. And parents will look at those kids that are really gifted, other parents, and think, why isn't my kid right. doing that well, right? Right. And so there's this comparison piece that goes on. I mean, there are all kinds of reasons, but once that kind of thing happens, kids know it, and, and they can't live up to the expectations, and so it becomes less fun and more painful. So I think there are lots of reasons that kids quit, and that's a big reason why I think, you know, obviously parents and kids need to be communicating the fact that your son could say to you, I don't like it when you're coaching me. Um, wow, that's awesome. Because a lot of kids wouldn't be able to have that conversation. They they would just be shut down, right? They'd, yeah. they'd be intimidated or whatever. Well, the relationship the, wasn't there enough that they could have that. And the other situation, too, I also noticed that the parents – of the kids on the team were also their kids were pulling away from my son because in their minds, okay. they thought my son was getting special treatment mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. wasn't at least not in my eyes. He wasn't. And the parents were having a problem too. And I'm going, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. And I, the couple of parents I actually talked to and I'm going, I don't know why you're treating me any differently. I'm treating your child the same way. And we actually discussed it. And um, I coached, I think, one a year and a half after that because it was soccer. But 
it's just interesting because like you said, we all have different expectations on what we want when we want our child to get out of the sport. At first, it's for them to have fun and learn a skill. And in some people's minds, when they get older and play longer, it's so they get that scholarship at the end of the road so they can go to college. Right. And a lot of those kids aren't going to get the scholarships. And I think parents get right. frustrated because they had banked their hopes and dreams on that that sport or whatever it is. And I think that starts putting more pressure on the kids too. Absolutely. Yeah. It's that, that expectation. And, you know, so I would love to say that, you know, kids stay because they love it and, and that I can create that environment when I'm teaching, right? They love coming and they're getting, and they're making progress. And, and yet the, the truth of it, too, is that no matter what, kids will go through a cycle of loving it, being okay about it, and hating it. And if we can, if we can, if they're hating it, have a genuine conversation where you're like, okay, what's up with this and why are you feeling this way? And be able, be able to identify, is there something really going on here that I need to know about? Or are we just in a cycle of, yep, not liking it right now for right. no particular reason? Let's just hold on and see it through. But I think... You know, there are absolutely times where there's something going on. So I'll tell you a little story um, because this is case in point. So um, I played, like I mentioned, Suzuki violin from the time I was, I don't know, four or five until I was 10. And then I always wanted to take piano lessons. I already played, but I wanted a teacher. And so I changed to piano. And my parents put me in a very upscale, well-respected uh, studio where I had so you go in and there was a little tiny room with a little tiny window at the top of the door right and there was one teacher in there and I won't name her because she's probably long gone but still she <laughs> <respectful>. <laughs> I won't name her um, and and so she was really horrible to me because I could play what she played not to the level of you know anything right. brilliant but I could pretty much I played by ear so if she played me something I could play it back, and so she'd give me my assignment. I just remember what she played, and I wouldn't read the music. I would just come back and play, and so she was very offended by that. And so she literally, she was one of those piano teachers, you know, people hear about. She wrapped my hands with a ruler and she belittled me, and and so I told my mom, I I don't want to go back. She's mean to me, and my mom was like, what? Um, but my mom was very tiny, maybe five feet tall, and so one week when I had told her that, I really dreaded going. My mom went and found a chair somewhere and got up on the chair and watched in the little tiny window at the top of the door and everything I had told her was true and so the next week when it was time to go she sat down on the bed with me and she said you know what Robin you don't have to go we will find another teacher for you Hmm. and so that that's you know there is a reason to look into it if your kid is saying oh my gosh you know I hate this and this is happening and whatever, I mean, I think it's on us to explore it. It's so easy to blow it off and go, come on, don't be a baby or, you know, it can't be that bad or whatever. But there are times where we really need to pay attention and then we can make the best call with our kids. So all of that, right? <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> on the phone with me right now, I have Robin Quinn Keen, and we're talking about how to raise quit-proof kids here on Online with Bill Alexander here on WMCK.FM and also on Fayette TV Channel 77. Hey, if you have questions for Robin, all you have to do is give you, give us a call at 724-505-1955. Again, that's 724-505-1955, and you can ask Robin questions about raising quit-proof kids. So what are some of the tools that you give parents to help with this situation? Because not every situation is going to be the same. 
No, that's true. So I kind of have a system for parents when, you know, so, and to be really direct about this, if you've got a 12 year old, this is, and you've got a, a kid who quits everything, yeah. this is going to be way harder than if you have a two year old and you're just getting started in activities, right? Right. You've got, a, so in my way of thinking and from my experience of teaching kids for all these years, <clears throat> parents really have influence from the time their kids are born until they're about 10. Okay. And once they're around 10, right? We start losing it because they're more they're more influenced by their peers and then their teachers and uh, outside forces. And so I think a lot of this really needs to be done when kids are little. Um, so the Quit Proof Kids Roadmap that I have gives parents like about seven things to think about um, when they're working with their kids and when they want to set them up for success. Um, the very first piece of this whole thing is be present. And this is really, a for me, it's become quite a big deal. Um, you know, when I was a mom, when my kids were little, it was hard enough to be present without technology. Like just, you know, I don't know, making dinner or something. I right. would be distracted, right? Whatever it was. Well, now we've got, everybody knows we've got massive tools of technology, which are awesome. But um, everywhere I go, I see parents handing babies tablets and you know yeah. phones and i was in i was in italy for a week this summer kind of unexpectedly and i was on a boat and there was this italian couple with a baby he couldn't have been he was walking he's maybe 14 months old and he got upset so she put him in the stroller and handed her her phone and i just thought oh my gosh it's universal right yeah and so there's this you know we use our our technology to both distract our kids when we don't want them acting up and to distract ourselves and so the first, you know, foundational piece for me is be present. Just pay attention and be aware of when you're not. Not that you can't have your phone and do whatever you want to do when you want to do it, but there's a, an awareness factor that just doesn't exist when we're, we're looking away from each other. So that's the first thing. And if you can't be present, then a lot of this other stuff just doesn't really work, right? So the first piece is that, and then the next piece is, we talked about this earlier, which is, intentionally select the things you want your kids to do. Like, why do you want them to do it? Right. What do you want as the outcome? And how long do you want them to do it for? And that way, it's not this floating thing that can be, you know, stopped tomorrow or extends for the rest of their lives. It's like, okay, great. I want you to go to um, ballet this year. And, you know, you're four years old, so we're just going to do the first semester of it. Right. We're not going to do the whole year. We're just going to say, we'll do this. Right. And then as kids get older, there are certainly conversations you can have, but it might look like, hey, you know, hey, buddy, you wanted to do soccer. And so, you know, we're signing you up for soccer and I want you to know right now that the commitment is through the session because you're going to be on a team and the team is going to be relying on you. And mm -hmm. so no matter how it goes, you know, we're going to be there. We're going to pay attention to how it's going and we're going to help you to stick up to get through if you're not liking it for some reason but you will do it for that long okay like so there's this okay get, you know expectation being set right um you ready for the next one sure i am uh, okay <laughs> um so the next piece is that parents need to be the ones that commit and this is a big question for a lot of parents it's like well you know i don't i don't why am I committing? Yeah. Like my kids should be committed. I heard this in piano. I taught, I've taught piano for 25 years. 
you know, and I actually require the parent to come to the lesson. They just, they need to be there. They need to be present and aware. They don't need to play the piano, but they need to be there. But, you know, why should I commit? Like, if, if he doesn't like it, I'm not going to make him do it. And I'm not going to protect his practice time. And I'm not going to help him because he's old enough. He's seven. He should be able to do right. it. Well, he can't. He just doesn't know how to commit. He's, uh-huh. he's too little, right? So the parents commit, and they understand that they're, and this is what I coached a lot in my studio, peaks, valleys, and plateaus. Last for short, medium, and long times, always changing. This is life. There's nothing wrong when your kid is having a bad week. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with him or you or this coach or with the method. It's just life. And so if parents can understand that, then it's a little more tolerable. They don't go to the upset of something's wrong. And and that's another little piece I'm going to throw in here. And that is, you know, helping parents to... um, well, I don't know about this for you, but as a mom, I can get pretty emotional. If my kids are upset, I can get really upset, and I'll have an emotional response. Uh-huh. So my daughter Ava came to me and said, "I don't want to, you know, I'm I don't want to play the piano anymore. I'm a dancer. I just want to dance." And and you know, the typical response probably would be, "Oh, sweetheart, what's wrong? I'm so disappointed. I thought you loved dancing. And what happened?" Okay, that's normal. Right. And then. And then a better, I think a better response is to find it in yourself to say, wow, let's sit down. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you're feeling? And just listen (laughs) with all the the interjections of how you feel. Just let Ava say how she feels. Right. And then rather than get emotional, which just fuels it, it's like, huh, I understand. Well, we're committed to piano through the end of the year, so... You can do dance and piano, but you do need to finish. Right. Like, that's a whole different thing, right? Now, the one one thing you said, which I think is interesting, and I think this has has more to do with it than I think pretty much anything else, and that's the parent not committing. Because the parent didn't realize what they had to do. Like, if their kid are (laughs) doing, if the kid's doing a sport, they're part of a boost organization now to raise money. They have to go collect mm-hmm. at the grocery store. They have to sell. If you're a Girl Scout, you sell cookies and all this stuff. And I don't think the parents realized what it means to be part of an organization like this. And I think when the parents get frustrated, they're modeling it to the kids. And the kids are saying, hell, if mom and dad want to quit, why can't I? And I think, and and I and I never like really looked at that closely enough until I was listening to you talk, and I think it may be what the parent is modeling, may be causing the problem because if you look back at the parent's life, they may have never followed through with anything, and when you talk about relationships, we can look at divorce rate, we can look at loss of job, we can look at all this stuff. And I mean, I hate to say it all goes back to that one sport they quit or multiple sports they quit or activities, but I wouldn't be surprised that there was a correlation between them. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree with you 100%. I think, it, I think that people become, not that they want to or mean to, but they become habitual quitters. Right. And so I want to I say something about that. So in my mind, there are two kinds of quitting. There's appropriate quitting. And then there's harmful quitting. Okay. So appropriate quitting would be, you know what? I've evaluated this and it really is not in line with my goals or my purpose or, you know, what I'm about in my life. And so 
in order to, to get back on track, I'm going to quit this thing, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. And then there's the harmful quitting, which is with, I, so, and usually, and, and this is why I'm talking about parents intentionally selecting activities. It's the same for us. You probably get asked to do things. I get asked to do things. And out of habit or feeling like I should, I'll say yes right. without considering what the impact is going to be. I might have great intention, but I haven't considered the impact. And so when I realized that just what you're talking about, right? Oh, I have to be at booster club, you know, I'm, I have to do this and that. I have to sell cookies, all this stuff. I didn't know the impact it was going to have on me. And so, but rather than go to somebody who I'm committed to and say, you know what, this isn't working for me and I need to figure this out, I will just disappear. I'm just going to quit uh-huh. but not tell you. I'm right. just going to sneak out the back door, which leaves me in a place of, really being out of integrity, right, with yeah. myself, um, and I, then I'm embarrassed, and I'm probably, like, feeling guilty, and then I might want to hide out from you, I might want to isolate, I might even get depressed about it, and so it, we, don't know, we don't know how to commit well, and we don't know how to quit well, that, and so, right, if, that's right, very, that's very true. Cycle, that mm-hmm. that's very true, I, I, I never um, thought about that before, but you're right, because I mean, we need to give lessons on how to quit properly, to be honest with you, because I think parents do do what you said, especially the one where they just disappear totally and you don't know where they're, where they're at. The kid's still in the activity, right. but the parents no longer is a no-show. And you don't know, right. or they, they're, as we refer to it around here, is a dump and run. They dump the kid off at practice or the activity and yeah. then they leave and then they come back and pick them up. Because, again, they're right. embarrassed and they don't know how to handle the situation. And in, and a lot of times, if the parent would just go in and say, hey, I'm having issues with this right now. Things got difficult at work. I'm having issues at home. Can can we relieve a little bit of the stress at the time? And usually someone will help them pick it up. But instead, the parents just bail out totally, and that sends a wrong image to, or a message to their kid. It does. And, you know, I think parents would be surprised if there's compassion out there. Yeah, there's lots of passion, but, but when you disappear, there's um, alienation. And it's, resent, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that sets up, right? And so I, so I think that's what's happening here. And um, so I, if I may, I'd like to kind of tell you what's happened with, with the program. Sure, please. So I launched it. There are a few more steps I can talk about them in them, but I launched this program in January and um, enrolled a number of people in it. And the program itself is online 24-7. It rolls out over the course of a month. It's only like videos that are over. The whole thing is less than two hours long. And there's a workbook and there are steps to go through, right, to be thoughtful about this process. Um, And the feedback from the parents that have finished it have been like, wow, okay, this is great. I didn't know this and this was helpful. But here's the thing. A bunch of parents haven't finished it. And I realized this in June. I went, oh, my goodness, this <laughs> is the easiest thing to get through. And parents aren't completing it. And so I had this epiphany that I need to create something for adults. And yes. I'm an entrepreneur, and I work and coach tons of entrepreneurs all over the world in different capacities. It's been a really interesting ride the last few years. And what I find with with the people I'm working with, you know, because I used to work with parents and kids, now it's entrepreneurs, is that people 
people are quitting all the time yeah. and, and they're having this experience of feeling guilty and let down and disappointed and all of that. And so um, I've put together a program and, and it's actually available and it's free right now. Okay. So I can give you the website, the link, but it's called, it's going to sound like a crazy name, the Klepto Code. And I know a kleptomaniac is somebody who steals, but we really steal our time and energy when we go through these commitments and then quitting. It's just a drain. It's a draining process. And so there are six six steps. Basically, get clarity on what you're up to in life. Make a list of everything that you've committed to. We'll just in the program. It's only one area. Like okay, just say it's family or it's business. Okay. Make a list of everything that you've committed to that you haven't completed or you're in process. And then the next step is eliminate and or evaluate and eliminate those um, commitments that don't make sense any longer. And there's a process of how you go and talk to somebody and how you let yourself off the hook, right? It's not just like, oh, go do this. It's like, hey, here are a few sample conversations you could have so that you are being honest and accountable and you can try to renegotiate or at least be, at least end it with some kind of dignity and maybe saving the relationship. Um, and then you prioritize whatever those important commitments were. And I say commitments, but I mean commitments, promises, and agreements. It's all of those. Prioritize those and then take action on the things that are important to you. Right? But I think what we are missing is how do I get out of things and, and save face and, and preserve my own dignity and my sense of integrity and my relationships with other people. I, th I think it's great that you're doing this, especially for the adults, and I feel really bad for the people that quit the quitting program because it, yeah. that, that really is not working in their favor. But what makes no, me... No, it's really... What makes yeah. me but sad... You know what? Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, it makes me sad, too. Like, I've literally written personal handwritten letters uh -huh. to a bunch of people just saying, hey, you know, I'd, I'd love to see you back in the program. Yeah. And it really, it really fell on deaf ears. It's probably they're like guilty and don't don't feel like jumping back right. in because they're embarrassed now, right? But it's just such a negative cycle. And you're right; we pass these things on to our kids. The things we haven't figured out, our kids are they struggle with the same stuff. Right. And and what makes me sad sad overall about it is that the people that are quitting that are raising these kids were taught how to do this. And it's it's a cycle of, of, of things that are happening. And in society, we're not raising that kid to prevent quitting, that there has to be programs no. like yours right now to show parents, hey, you're not bad people. You just aren't doing things in a way that's going to benefit your child in the long run. And I, and I think right. that a, a lot of people could use your program. But I also think a lot of people feel that if they say they can use their program, they're admitting failure and they're afraid to step up and do what they need to do because probably a lot of the, there's a lot of people out there that know this exists, but they're afraid to use it because they're afraid they're going to be judged. Right. It could be. It, it very well could be. And yeah, I, I did have somebody say to a friend of mine, she's like, well, this just doesn't resonate with me. Like, I, I'm not that person. Right. <laughs> and well, I thought, great, then you don't need the program, right? Yeah. But if you're right, there will be people who just to be like, oh, I've got that handled. Um, but then, and, you know, hopefully, so the, the programs that I have, they're online. Nobody knows that you're in there. You can join a Facebook group to get Same support. Same, yeah. But you sure don't have to. You could just go incognito. I mean, I'll know that you're there, but I don't know you probably, right? Right. Um, so I, I hope. You know, so it's really interesting to me. Um, 
the, the other thing I've noticed, and I think it's a function of this, and I've tried to read as much as I can about millennials, and I love millennials. I have three. Okay. Well, I have two. The next two are not quite. They're just Ava, the, the youngest one, is not. She's the next one. Annalise is right on the fringe. She could be or she couldn't be. Um, so I love them. I have, you know, my oldest two are great. They're millennials. The thing I've been noticing, and I've had any number of conversations, plus I've had a, a, a position in an office in Sacramento for Simply Music, the piano that I teach. I'm, you know, kind of on and off of projects, kind of on a contract, I guess is what I could say. So I'm not there all the time. Okay. But what I've noticed is we've had, we have a great millennial staff. Most of the most of the people that work there are millennials. And they've been very faithful, but then there have been a few that haven't. Mm-hmm. And when they've left, they've left. Like, they didn't say, I'm quitting. I'm giving you two weeks. They ghosted us. Yes. They just never came back. And I got really curious about that a couple of years ago. I was like, what's that about? Like, who does that? Like, what is that? Well, it's happening, as it turns out, it's a, a, a phenomenon that's happening more and more with that particular generation of no need to say goodbye, I'm just going to slip away. And, and, and that is concerning to me because I'm now seeing, you know, I was thinking, oh, it's just in sports or it's just, in, it's just with, you know, activities with kids. It's just with friends. But no, it's actually in the workforce yes. now. Um, where there's a sense of, I don't have to tell you I'm quitting, I'm just going to disappear and you'll never find me again. And it's interesting right? you had this, you, you mentioned that because I had a discussion with someone a while back, and I'll tell you that story in a few minutes, but I blame it on cell phones because cell phones are passive-aggressive communication and they don't have to talk mm-hmm. to anybody. They can send a right? message or anything else and they don't know if the person reads it or not and they just think that, okay, I ended it, I'm done, I'm leaving, without any repercussions whatsoever. And I and again, I do blame technology for some of this because the millennials are one of the first groups that actually grew up with technology mm-hmm. from birth to where they are right mm-hmm. now, unlike you and I, who didn't have this right. technology that we had. And we actually go back and touch on what, what the boomers started. And then with, with the generation, like I said, I'm 53, so I don't know where you fall into that, that range. But in that generation, but, mm-hmm. we are we are um, we're we're a cross between two. We were older when technology came in. We were more responsible with it. We didn't understand the value mm-hmm. of it, unlike the millennials. Um, but the story I have: um, a friend of mine in the area owns a machine shop, and they were recruiting people to do it, and they hired a very talented young man to work in their shop. This was a few years ago. So they hired him and everything else. He never showed up to work the first day. He didn't show up the second day. Third day comes along. They think there's something wrong. They call him. They said, hey, where have you been? You haven't been here. He goes, oh, my car broke down and I didn't and I couldn't find a way to get to work. The boss goes, you didn't have the decency to call and tell us. We could have made arrangements for you to get there. And he goes, "No, I decided I didn't want the job anyhow." Oh. And and the and the boss yeah. who is a boomer told me, he goes, "If it would have been anybody of my generation, they would have walked no matter how far it would have been, or at least contacted them and said, "Hey, I can't get there. Can I right. get a ride? Is there anybody else in the area?" But this kid just felt right. the need to just say, "Okay, I'll find another one." Right. 
Right. And, and, and so when you look at that, when you think about that, it's like, I think we're kind of at a tipping point. If we keep raising kids who don't know how to finish things right? because their parents don't know how to finish things, I, I mean, I hate to say that, you know, we're in trouble, but I kind of think we're going to have to figure out how to, um, you know, how to work in the United States. I don't know how much of a problem this is in other countries, but I know in the United States quitting is a big thing. And I don't know what it means for the future of business if we can't count on people to show up, be present, get their work mm-hmm. done. I mean, that that I wonder. I just well, wonder what that might look like. And Well, I think that's your next job. You have to figure that out and how to work with these businesses to yeah. fix it um, if you're not already. Because what I think is interesting is mm-hmm. they say right now the average, the, the longest the, an average person holds a job is between five and seven years. Why is right. that? Right. When, when I, heck, I've been in mine for 21 years. But when mm-hmm. our previous generations started a job, moved up through the company and retired from that same company after 35 or 40 years, why are right. people moving right. around so much? Is it because they get bored or they think there's something better out there? Is it, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it just seems to me that, that they, they do quit a lot because they don't know what they're looking for. I think that's, I think that's a lot of it. And that's one of the things I address in, in the quitting culture program is, Let's get clear, you know, let's get clear on your purpose, your mission, your vision, your values. A lot of people never do that. And so I think Zig Ziglar said, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Yes. You know, we don't know what we want. And I think when we get older, we do, we get it figured out. But I don't know if I knew what I wanted when I was 22 or 25. I'm not sure that I did. I kind of did, but not like I do now. But so we have a lot of people that just don't have direction and like we talked about at the beginning of the call, um, you know, you can burn all the bridges you want because there's another one just ahead. Right. You know, I mean, <laughs> you, there's there's so many places you can go, so many things you can do, so many jobs that you can have. And, you know, the, the, I think here's what worries me a lot really about this bigger picture is the impact this has on hum, human beings. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't feel that great about yourself if you're constantly quitting and never finishing anything and jumping from place to place. And I mean, there's a sense of a lack of accomplishment, right. you know, and maybe I think it, I really believe that it has an impact. And I think when we don't finish things and we haven't let ourselves off the hook, then we do have a sense of being scattered and confused and disappointed and ashamed. And all of those that, you know, that really downward spiral, and we do it often enough, and that's when I think we end up getting, you know, becoming isolated and, and feeling depressed because we just can't get anything done. And that that is actually, that's, that's a very eye-opening statement there because I don't think a lot of people reflect on that. They just assume that it's no. it's someone else, it's a situation, it's whatever they're a part of, and they don't realize it's internally, it is them that's causing the issue because they don't know what they want or they don't know how to get to that 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 mm-hmm. that end result because they've never been to an end result before and they don't understand that that feeling of satisfaction at the end. We see kids who go through 12 years of school quit 
two months before graduation mm. because it gets mm. hard. They have all this yeah, responsibility they have to get done before graduation and they say the heck with it. And it's like, right. you've gone this far, just go the extra six weeks or whatever it is just to get done. So you understand what it's like. We're also noticing, um, and again, I'm in the field of education, is that we're noticing that kids that graduate high school who do well go to college and they drop out after the first semester because it really? wasn't it wasn't what they expected. They thought it was mm -hmm. going to be what they see on TV. They don't realize they have to go to class. They mm -hmm. don't realize they have to study. They don't realize they have to do this because they weren't. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> yeah, well, because they don't. They, they they weren't given that foundation. Yeah. Prior to that, and it's and, and as much as I hate to say this. A lot of parents aren't raising their kids. They're expecting everybody else to do it for them. Right. And now that we're especially distracted, it's even easier. Yeah. We just plug everybody into whatever device they've got and tell them to be quiet. And we and we let them spend hours, you know, Snapchatting or watching right. Netflix in their rooms or whatever. Um, and, and we don't engage with them. And the other thing that I was thinking about when you were talking to Bill is just the... Uh, the phenomenon of, you know, every kid gets a blue ribbon, no matter yes, yes. what they achieved or didn't achieve. There's That's been kind of a thing for a long time. But I think that's part of the, when you're talking about going to college and not continuing, I actually, you know, I, I went to college and I finished and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I remember my first semester. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Right. And, and I would have loved to have changed schools right then and there and my parents knew it and they were like nope yep. <laughs> you're, you're gonna finish right you started you're gonna finish this year and then anyway but I, I get that but I think that part of that it too is the it's always been easy for me or I've gotten all the ribbons right. or, I, or I got blue ribbons for doing not much of anything in college it's a different ball game yeah and, and and why was it okay here when they gave me the ribbons but now I'm over here and it's so much more difficult I'm doing the same thing I did yeah. before why am I not getting the same results now and again right. are we right. are, are we we're doing our kids a disservice is what we're doing and that it it's everybody because we felt that this, and again, this is going to sound really harsh, but we felt the self-esteem was more important than the actual learning a lesson and learning how to finish something. I mean, that's right. my feelings that's get right. hurt, your feelings get hurt, but we also know how to move on from that. And I don't think a lot of kids right. know that now. And I think that's one of the problems we're dealing with in society today. Because everybody's mm -hmm. been pacifying them and ho and carrying them around with kid gloves, because we don't want them to be hurt or we don't want them to be offended. Oh well, offended is a big part of it too. We as parents don't want to, to go to battle with our kids, and we don't want to offend them. And like I was saying earlier, the negative behavior that comes with, you know, having a requirement of your kid that that's that's hard to go up against. And I. I don't want to make a blanket statement, but I think a lot of kids are kind of out of control with their behavior towards parents from Agreed. what I've witnessed, you know, um, at the zoo or wherever, at the grocery store. It doesn't matter where I am. I've, I've just noticed this really extreme disrespect. And I mean, that's probably another whole thing, right? The disrespect <laughs> that, that kids, that is another thing. Um, they, they give their parents and that parents tolerate that. Um, 
you know, we've kind of got a pretty perfect storm going right here. And it's that idea so that everybody has to be everybody's friend. Uh-huh, and right. I'm, I remember my mom and dad telling me that when I when I first had kids. Yeah. Like, you don't need to be their friend. No. Like, that'll come someday. But right now, you've got to be the grown-up. Right. Because right? you got to explain to them but, what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. You've got to enable them. I mean, I, I look at it and I think my job is to grow, a, I mean, I, I want to grow a capable kid who finishes what they start, set out, you know, they set out to do something and they know that they can finish it because they have finished things before. Right. right? And that, and that, that is what I want for my And kids. that sense of accomplishment can carry them through anything because they know what's going to happen once they get something done. And it's, I mean, That's right. and as okay. you carry it on in the workforce, like you said, being able to start a project and finish the product, I mean, mm-hmm. you have to be able to do that in your adult life. If not, where are you going to be? If you're a construction worker right. or if you're a, whatever it may be, you have to be able to start something and have to be able to finish it. You cannot quit if something right. goes wrong. You have to find solutions to fix the problem that have been created. And I think when we what we do is we give in to the kids because, yes, it's difficult, but they don't know how to problem solve if we keep bailing them out every time something goes wrong. Right. And it's fair to stand with them and help them and direct them because they need that. That's why they have parents. Right. Otherwise, we'd be born adults. I mean, (laughs) exactly right. They're kids, and we need to stand with them and show them and support them and love them, encourage them, show them compassion, and also require certain things of them right. because it's going to help them be capable adults, and, you know, and, contributing capable adults. And one thing, I, I'm going to open up a can of worms because I'll have to do a program on this in the near future, but this is one of my problems I'm having with the cyber school things is because the kids are having problems in the classroom in the brick-and-mortar schools. So what do they do? They mm-hmm. bail out. They go online in the computer. They work two or three hours a day. They feel what that's like. And my response to them when I hear about it going, but that's not the way life is. You have to work with people. You have to deal with problems. You can't mm-hmm. run home and sit in front of the computer and do what you do and still be able right. to make a living or be a productive member of society. But they don't understand right. that. And again, that goes back right. because we're letting them quit something and we're giving them an alternative that we feel is acceptable to fulfill that requirement that they that they that they quit on. That's right. And that's the thing, right? So it all starts at the beginning. Yeah. When they're really little. That's if you ask me, that's when it starts. It started at three with my oldest daughter which when she was three. She wanted to quit. That's where this whole thing started for me. It was like how interesting that she wants to quit and actually I get to make up my mind. She doesn't. And I think a lot of parents miss that. And once they've let a child quit once, then, you know, the, the, the stage is set for multiple quits and a totally, um, you know, a kid who doesn't accomplish anything lacks self-esteem actually, Mm -hmm. because they never have. And then a kid who also can be really difficult to deal with because the way they've gotten to quit is by behaving pretty badly i guess to be to be honest and parents who then become afraid of the bad behavior of the kid and don't want to interact with them so it's just a big (laughs) negative spiral that's how i see it and so i really want to help parents 
who are interested in raising kids who, who have this skill for life. It's not just now. It's This is going to serve them. I look at my kids and I'm like, wow, I am so proud of them. And I, I look back at my parents and I go, thank you. Yeah. Because the values they instilled in me have served me well. Um, and and I'm, I'm proud of my kids. I certainly didn't do everything right, not by a long shot, but they learned some of the really important mm-hmm. things. And I, I would do anything to help parents do this with their kids and then help adults do it for themselves. Yeah, that's what... That's what I'm committed to. It's hard to believe we've been talking for an hour. Um, yeah, that went fast. <laughs> it, it went real quick. <laughs> and again, uh, thinking about it, when I had you on, I never realized until talking to you that that one event that a child or an individual can quit can actually impact their life throughout because it is all based on past experiences. And I would have never thought of that. But Robin. I really appreciate you being on the program today. And uh, again, the website is quitproofkids.com. And Robin um, Robin Quinn Keen, who we were speaking with tonight. Robin, thank you very much. I would love to talk to you again um, if any other ventures that you have coming along. And I wish you all the luck. Thank you, Bill. I enjoyed it very much. The other place people can go is quittingculture.com and get a free course there right now that sounds great thank you very much rob we'll talk to you next time my pleasure bye-bye thank you very much everyone you've been listening to online with bill alexander here on wmck.fm and also on fayette tv channel 77 we'll talk to you next time here online with yours truly bill alexander If you've ever been a renter, you know it's stressful to find a place with everything you love and nothing you don't. But did you know Zillow does rentals? It makes the search so easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find that place that's in your budget, but also isn't a shoebox. Or a place that's close to your parents, but far enough they have to call first. Plus, it's easy to apply, request tours, and pay rent in the app. Head to ZillowRentals.com and find your sweet spot. If you've been a renter, you know it's stressful to find the perfect place. But Zillow Rentals make it easy. They have filters for pretty much everything. So you can find a rental that's big enough for entertaining your friends, but small enough they won't crash all weekend. Find your sweet spot on ZillowRentals.com. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that... That's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.